Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be a part of the program. Can we talk about the supply and demand curve? Hmm? Let's talk about the supply and demand curve. The supply and demand curve explains basic economics. You have supply of a product and demand for that product. When supply is low and demand is high, the price goes up. When you have high supply and low demand, the price goes down. And the point is to find the equilibrium between supply and demand. It's why price ceilings and price floors don't work. When you cap rent, for example, you always have a housing shortage because you can't get the supply and demand curve to meet. You can't find equilibrium in the price. When you have a a floor below which the price can't fall, you, you never actually get rid of the thing you want to get rid of because the price can't go down far enough to get rid of it. The supply and demand curve explains a lot of basic economic problems. It doesn't explain everything, but it explains a lot. You have supply and you have demand. When your supply is high and demand is low, your price falls. When you have supply being low and demand being high, your price rises. Now, we have a problem in this country with oil. It's easy to explain on the supply-demand curve. In this country right now, there is a high demand for gasoline. But in this country right now, there is an insufficient supply. On this basic supply and demand curve that dictates that when supply is low and demand is high, prices must rise. It rises at an equilibrium so that you never run out of the product. It gets to a point, though, where some people can't afford it. You're not going to run out of the product because the price is so high, some people are priced into buying it, so others who can buy it still buy it. The supply and demand curve explains what's going on. We have an oil refinery on the Gulf Coast that's permanently shut down because it was damaged in Hurricane Ida. And after Hurricane Ida, uh, the company that owns it decided with the uh, world moving towards a new future that doesn't include oil, there was no point in making upgrades to get it back online because they wouldn't be able to get their money back based on their projections of what it would cost to rebuild and how long over time they would reap profit to get their cost back. Wasn't worth it, so they shut it down. Other oil refineries have scaled back because the Biden administration has imposed new environmental regulations on the capture of sulfur dioxide, methane, and other uh, other gases and other pollutants. And they decided that they couldn't make the upgrades given that the Biden administration wants the oil and gas industry to come to an end within a decade. They can't make the upgrades and get their money back. So they didn't invest. They just wound things down. That is curtailed supply. 
in still other cases with demand being high, uh, we can't get enough oil out of the ground. The Biden administration has canceled leases on federal land in the Gulf of Mexico. They've scaled back and, and stopped the uh, development of ANWR, the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. They even cut the XL Keystone XL pipeline, which runs along the existing Keystone pipeline, but provides more oil to the Gulf Coast to be refined. And even if it got there now because of the Biden administration, they've caused a backup of oil and a reduction of refinery capacity. So there are a number of problems that have caused a uh, supply issue. So the Biden administration has decided it wants to give a national gas tax holiday. Now, there are states that have done this to help in those states lower the price. Now, it's different at the federal level from the state level. Like, for example, Georgia has done this. This may be something that blows up in Brian Kemp's face in his election. Uh, The state has extended a gas tax holiday. If it comes back before the November election, prices go up in Georgia. That's going to hurt him, uh, Brian Kemp. But it's different because you don't have a bunch of people in Alabama driving to Georgia to get gas. It's more self-contained. It would be different... If you had a national gas tax holiday and it lowered gas for everyone, uh, 20 cents or so, let's say, I think it's 18 and a half cents, uh, then gas prices nationally may go down 18 and a half cents. But probably what's going to happen is actually the refineries and, and the oil companies just pocket the difference. Prices don't go down. The local gas stations don't lower prices. And so they don't actually reduce the price of gas. They just actually pick up some profit to help them with upgrades and repairs. And maybe we then get some more refinery capacity or something, but it's not going into your pocket. It's not actually going to benefit you. But what it does, if it does go down, is it stimulates more demand. The price has gone down. Therefore, more people can afford it. So more people go get it. So it causes more of a supply problem. Virtually everyone, virtually everyone, agrees this is not a good approach. Barack Obama ridiculed the approach when Hillary Clinton offered it up in 2008, when gas prices were far lower than they are now. Barack Obama said, absolutely not. It's bad economics to do a gas tax holiday. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are laughing at Joe Biden for proposing a gas tax holiday. Why? Because they know it won't do a lot of good. He's grasping for straws. When you have the leaders of the Democrats in the House and the Senate rejecting your proposal because they know it won't do any good, it's pretty telling that you're out of options. There are options the Biden administration could pursue, but they have no desire to pursue those options because those options would require a long-term sustained effort to produce oil and gas, and they don't want that. They only want it in the short term. That's not going to work. It's not going to help. And the Democrats, even the Democrats, know it. Here's Democratic apologist on CNN, John Harwood. President Obama called this a gimmick when he was asked about it during the campaign in 2008. This this gas tax, you know, freeze. Can you give us a reality check? What's actually going to happen here for the American consumer? Well, Erica, President Obama called it a gimmick because, as almost any economist, Democrat and Republican can tell you, it is a gimmick. It doesn't solve the underlying problem, which is driving up. Uh, gas prices to the extent it succeeds in lowering them a bit 
It's likely to encourage people to drive more, which will create an offsetting uh, boost in demand and, and push the price uh, up and, and obviate that benefit. Yep. Now, Matt Egan uh, used to be with Fox Business. He's now over at CNN as their economic analyst. Um, but, you know, to John's point, there are some serious problems here. And it's also important to remember that just because things poll well doesn't mean it's necessarily smart policy, right? Wait, what? <laughs> Not always the same thing. Noted. But, like John said, this does nothing to fix supply. Mm -hmm. It actually supports demand at a time when demand can't keep up with supply. Uh, Moody's economist Mark Zandi, he told me that he is concerned that this could be inflationary and uh, there's no guarantee that energy companies are going to pass along the entire savings here and then there's the fact that this money funds the building of highways at a time when the construction of the building of the highways has gone up because of rising costs for building material and uh, labor so there's a lot of issues here and I think it does show why Obama in 2008 called it a gimmick called it a gimmick yep and the White House itself well, they, they can't come to terms with the fact that prices were high before Putin. Here's Gene Sperling, longtime uh, economic analyst and um, advisor to Democratic presidents. He's now one of Biden's economic advisors. The fact is still that on January 17th, gas prices were not high by historical standards. They were below what real gas price levels are over the previous decade. So when you talk about the run-up in uh, uh, gas, I don't think there should be any controversy anywhere okay. partisan it, you know, that it, that it, is it, due to Putin's invasion and our response to it. Okay, let, let, let's talk. I mean, they were, though, they did go higher since the inauguration based on a number of choices that were made to end leases, to end pipelines. That is, disagree. in the beginning, those prices did start to increase at just, that point. It's, just it's disagree. I, I, you know, he can disagree all he wants, but it's true. Yeah, I thought it was uh, the Democrats are routinely now attacking Republicans for claiming the Republicans disagree with the truth. It's the truth, and he's disagreeing with it. So they've called in all the oil executives to the White House. They want them all in the room to beg them to do more and to bully them and to badger them and to blame them. Now it turns out Joe Biden might not even show up and talk to them. The president expressed this, this sentiment again today on, on really laying down the hammer on these big oil companies. And so why is he not in the room tomorrow to express this message himself? Well, the president talked about this, as you, said, as you just stated earlier today. Um, the Secretary of Energy, Senator Granholm, was just standing before you, is going to have those conversations. Um, and, uh, and what we want to see is a solution. Uh, come up with ideas. There will be representatives from the White House who will be in the room as well. So he's not going to be there with them. He's not going to go meet with them. And, you know, Jennifer Granholm, she got called out. If you recall, I played the audio yesterday of uh, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, saying inflation existed before Putin. You and the president have framed uh, this war in Ukraine as the primary driver of the spikes in energy costs that's the largest contributor to overall inflation. But uh, the Fed chairman was on the Hill today, testified, he was asked a question, is the war the primary driver of inflation? And his answer was no. How do you square that? Is he wrong? I, I didn't hear what he said on that, but I think most people acknowledge that the price of fuel is a big driver of inflation. And in fact, they've put large percentages on it. And so we know that the 
the war in Ukraine having driven up the price of fuel because it, it crimps supply. It's a total supply and demand question. We've got to make up for the million barrels per day that have lost. We're, we will have a demand problem when China opens up after COVID. There will be additional upward pressure on supply. This is why we need, not just in the U.S., but we need globally more supply brought on board. And uh, so... Quote was no inflation was high before certainly before the war in Ukraine broke out. Well, I think um, most would say that the price of fuel has exacerbated inflation. <laughs> wow! Confronted by Jerome, how she can't handle it. By the way, um, is Senator Kennedy from Louisiana was grilling Powell yesterday. It's worth playing some of this. He's always quotable. Look, Mr. Chairman, we got to handle the mess here. Okay, we, we, inflation is hitting my people so hard they're coughing up bones. I, I don't care what the inflation is in other parts of the country, in, of the world. I'm sorry they're having inflation in other parts of the world, but them in misery doesn't make my people feel better. They're still miserable. Inflation is hitting people so hard they're coughing up bones. It's the highest in 40 years. Our national, national debt is greater than our national output. Um, crimes up, the borders open, respect for institutions uh, is way down, and 70% of the American people think we're headed in the wrong direction. Now, we got a hell of a mess. <laughs> Amen. We do. And it's starting to have a real impact there. One more clip of audio before I go to break. You got to hear this. This is Harry Hinton. Uh, he is the uh, campaigns and elections guy for CNN. This is on CNN. You just got to listen to understand. Uh, directly goes to John Kennedy, Senator John Kennedy's point. Actually, they're more engaged so far in the primary. So this is 2022 primary turnout compared to 2018. Overall, look at this. We're up 12%. We're up 12%. Among Democrats, I will point out that we're down, but just 3%. But this is primarily being driven by Republican primary turnout. Look at this number, up 29%. Whenever you see a rise like that, you know something's cooking. And here what is cooking is Republicans are really engaged. And overall, that has made the electorate also more engaged. These are... Yep, uh, highly engaged electorate because Republican engagement is up 29% compared to the 2018 midterms. They're just about at... Um, where they are at a presidential level. And why? Because people are furious about the economy. And the only thing that this White House knows how to do is to blame the Russians and Vladimir Putin. And even Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, says the Russians are not to blame. I'm a longtime customer of Bull and Branch. I love their sheets. I sleep very comfortably, very coolly underneath them. I don't like to get hot when I sleep. They're very, very breathable. They're very, very soft, and they get softer with every wash as well. Bolin brand sheets, they're not just buttery, breathably, and possibly comfortable and softer with every wash. You don't even have to worry about the thread count there because they use the best threads possible, and you can tell by the quality of the sheets. I highly recommend you get some. My wife and I, you know, she heard the ads on other shows. She doesn't listen to my podcast, and she wanted them. And then we got some, and we've fallen in love with them. We've got them on a lot of the beds in our house. They use the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're so luxurious. They're beloved by three American presidents, and they got over 10,000 reviews 
all of which are fantastic reviews. And right now you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. How are you? It is Eric Erickson here. I, I got to have an aside for a moment. I've gone back and forth on Obi-Wan Kenobi, the limited series on Disney. And I guess they've said they want to do a season two. I don't know how you do one after the end, but I, I, I got to tell you, I've gone back and forth. Charlie hadn't much liked it. The final episode, for all of the faults, and the series has some faults, got some annoying characters. My goodness, I was engrossed. First of all, to see Darth Vader uh, and his use of the Force to be able to, to hold on to a ship trying to take off was pretty cool. But the fight scene between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader was, you know, it's like in The Mandalorian, spoiler alert now, when Luke Skywalker shows up. And it's like uh, the young Luke Skywalker that you knew existed, but you never saw in the movies. And dude just uses the force and just just slaughters these uh, killer robots. Uh, and now you, you kind of know Darth Vader, He's he's got that power. And you never really see him in that way in the Star Wars movies. And yet here he comes and he's just a brutal, savage monster. I mean, he's just wantonly killing people just for giggles in this show and 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 then he has that fight with obi-wan kenobi and in the beginning kenobi is just a rusty old soul and then at the end my goodness gracious y'all i'm just i'm i i'm appreciate the the story arc and the ending of that show and it did a pretty good job of wrapping up some of the plot holes now i've got some friends of mine like oh this is nonsense i mean look, look at all these in because i'm i just went with it as a matter of storytelling i just went with it i'm not that diehard of a fan i i never have been I, i'm never one of those people who say well and, and, you know this was this was um snow white and, and now it's a cream white in this episode and and therefore something's i i don't i don't care about that sort of i just i want a good this was a great story and it was it was amazing. I got to tell you the other one that I I like is on Paramount. Although I'm about to have to give it, I'm just so annoyed with all of their extraneous pride promotion stuff that that's unnecessary and so in your face. Um, but Strange New Worlds, the Star Wars, it's episodic. You don't have to keep up with the show week to week. You can just pick up an episode and play it, and it just works. As a standalone episode, they've they've done a good job there. I'm I'm kind of a fan. I I'm I'm really intrigued by where streaming is going. But you know, one of the things that I also find interesting, and Disney Plus is not doing this with Obi Wan Kenobi, but uh, Paramount is doing it with a lot of its streaming shows. They've got commercial breaks. Why do you do a TV show with a commercial break? when it's meant for streaming, I, I, I guess they're going to play it broadcast somewhere or they're going to put it into syndication. I guess, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like you watch an HBO show. There's no commercial breaks in HBO shows. You watch game of Thrones. You're not going to see a distinct commercial break, but you watch some of these shows on some of the other streaming services and there's a commercial break and it makes absolutely no sense to me as to why that would be the case. All right. Uh, enough about my streaming show. I'm just telling you, if you are at all interested in star Wars, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, it's, I, I, I give it one and a half 
like thumbs up I get. Well, yeah, literally one and a half thumbs up. <laughs> All right, we got to move on. We got other news to deal with when we come back. The update on the gun legislation, it might pass Congress by the end of this week. I want to tell you about the amendments the Republicans are going to bring up to fight it. I'll take your phone calls as well, 877-973-7425. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, they've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Finris. Pacific. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing generally from friends of mine, the last two episodes of that Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of made up for the others. That last episode, my goodness, just the fight was fantastic. Uh, in any event, we got to move on. Uh, we got a gun bill in Congress. I need to give you an update on. Uh, there are a few things, though, we got to know along the way. Um, Joe Biden's latest approval is at 41%, according to Gallup which is only a point higher than Gallup's lowest, which came in January. His highest approval in Gallup came in the beginning of 2021 when he was first elected. Uh, his term average is 46, according to Biden. He's largely out of political capital at this point. Um, the average approval rating for U.S. presidents is 53%. The average for elected presidents in their sixth quarter is 56%. Uh, and Joe Biden has hit rock bottom. Joe Biden's polling where it is now is lower than any other president in American history, including Donald Trump and Jimmy Carter at this point. Joe Biden's approval is at 41%. At this time, during the presidencies, uh, Donald Trump was 42, Obama 46, Bush was 73, Clinton 46, George W. H. W. Bush, 68, Reagan, 45, Carter, 43, Nixon, 55, Kennedy, 69, Eisenhower, 62. There you have it. Things aren't going well for Joe Biden right now. And it's coming in with a potential win for which he won't get a lot of credit. The Senate has a bipartisan gun bill. Now, I got to say a couple of things here on this. If I were in the United States Senate, I would vote against this legislation. 
I think it has some good parts. I actually am not opposed to making 18 to 20 year olds wait three days to buy a rifle. I'm, I'm just not three days to check the, um, juvenile criminal record of these kids who want to buy a gun, go for it. It expires in 10 years. By then the juvie record will be tied into the federal record and they'll be able to do it on the background check immediately. And so the three days goes away. I think that's perfectly fine and reasonable, but I really don't, think red flag laws are a good idea. I think there are existing laws on the books in states that could have an impact. And I don't think federal incentive to um, advance red flag laws are good in large part because while they sound good, I think the potential for abuse outweighs the usefulness of a red flag law. Particularly when there are other laws on the books that could intervene and in so many of these cases, um, the person has pre-existing problems and no one's done anything anyway. Regardless, this law is more likely than not going to become the law. Uh, 15 Republicans sided with the Democrats to overcome the filibuster. Chris Murphy and John Cornyn are advancing the legislation. There will be some debate and there will be amendments to be offered. Uh, what's going to happen is Kabuki Theater. Here's what you need to understand about the Kabuki Theater. The Senate is going to go through on this. They're going to make sure that the amendments to the legislation uh, have to overcome the filibuster threshold. As a result, the Republicans who want this gun control bill to pass can vote for amendments from their Republican colleagues that they know will die and they can still vote for the legislation and claim they fought to improve it, but they did not want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's all theater. The Democrats will be able to tell their side that, well, we fought to add more to it, but we couldn't, and we don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Both sides will engage in theater, knowing that the Democrats will defeat Republican amendments and Republicans will defeat a Democrat amendments and they can get this passed. Ted Cruz will attempt to amend it to provide $30 billion in federal funding to upgrade schools and hire more school security officers and expand mental health programs further. We'll watch Democrats kill that and Republicans then vote for the legislation. Many of you will wonder what good is it voting for Republicans if they're going to do this, and I don't have an answer for you. I don't think the red flag law portion of this is well-structured. I think that there are due process concerns that have not been met in the legislation, and I don't think the Democrats are inclined to fix those concerns. I think the red flag law will be weaponized by political opponents, by people on the left, by others, against conservatives, against people they don't like, against uh, neighbors and coworkers who they have um, acrimonious relationships with. And I think it will be bad. I would not vote for this legislation. As If they could just take that 18 to 20-year-old provision, probably I would go along with that. But the rest of these, nope, can't do it. Sorry. I think that the Second Amendment gives me a right to keep and bear arms. 
historically in this country, even though I have a right to keep and bear arms, historically, even at the time of the founders, if you read Justice Thomas's opinion today in the Bruin case, for example, you see that uh, government at the time, even then, put some restrictions on it, had some laws on it, and, and I'm okay with, with the reasonableness of that. I'm okay having to fill out the form to get a gun every time. There's not a gun database in which my name goes so that the, the media can come after me. But I'm just really not a fan of this idea of a red flag law uh, and incentives for states to adopt them when all that's going to happen is people are going to abuse them against their political opponents. There are, again, as I say, even in Texas, provisions in place that could have stopped this kid. We find this all the time in these stories of these shootings that, oh, we all knew this person had problems, but nobody did anything. They're not going to change now. They're not. But oftentimes when we consider gun compromises, all the compromises involve things that would not stop anyone from getting a gun. The one thing that this gun compromise does do to its credit that could have stopped this shooter in Texas from getting the gun is this pause for three days to check his juvenile record because had they checked his juvenile record, they would have found disqualifying information. And so I'm okay with that, but that's about it. This is going to get extraordinarily massive coverage. And the media is going to credit the Democrats, not the Republicans. They're going to use it to try to help Joe Biden get reelected. And then they will pivot very rapidly because something is coming. The Dobbs case is coming. It may come tomorrow. The Supreme Court has announced it's going to release opinions tomorrow. I believe, however, let me let me check. Um, I believe the the court is going to release opinions at some point next week as well. And I think the Dobbs opinion at this point, we can just agree is going to be so controversial and inflame people so much that the Supreme Court will wait until the very last minute to release the Dobbs opinion. There will be riots. There's an organization called Jane's Revenge. It's not getting a lot of press attention. I don't even know if Jane's Revenge is actually a real group. Jane's Revenge claims to be a terrorist group that intends to target for destruction, death, and you name it, pro-life pregnancy centers. By the way, I'm looking, tomorrow is the last day for Supreme Court opinions, it appears, so far. So we may get all the cases tomorrow. Jane's Revenge is a terrorist organization, allegedly. My personal suspicion about Jane's Revenge is it's a group of uh, pro-abortion activists and congressional staffers for Democrats who are on social media and the internet claiming to take credit for the vandalism of others, trying to make themselves into something ferocious when they're not. Uh, but maybe it's a real thing. If so, it's a terrorist group. It's a domestic terrorist group. And it's promising violence and riots if the Supreme Court releases the Dobbs decision and ends Roe versus Wade. I have to tell you, much like the George Floyd situation, this is not going to help Democrats. When you see the Supreme Court in flames, when you see churches burning, and when you see nonprofit pregnancy centers on fire, I have to tell you, that's not going to help the Democrats. 
The Democrats, progressive groups, they're pledging violence if Roe versus Wade is overturned. You will see a public backlash against that violence. Republicans who are already set to do well in November are going to do even better when progressive activists start burning down churches across this country, start burning down pro-life pregnancy centers across this country, and start burning down um, pro-life organizations. When they come into church on Sunday and they throw red paint and they disrupt church services, there's going to be a public backlash. They're promising to do that, by the way. Uh, security at churches around the country is going to be increased on Sunday. In fact, I, I do need to say, out of an abundance of caution, if you're in charge of a church, you may want to consider, particularly a Catholic church, because the Catholics get all the blame, if you are in charge of a church, you may want to consider upping security this Sunday. I'm not being flippant. If you are a church in an urban area with a large congregation, you probably want to increase security this weekend because progressive activists are promising violence at churches this weekend. They are. They're promising disruption of churches, particularly churches that run pro-life pregnancy centers and adoption centers. They're promising to target your churches this weekend if the Dobbs case comes out. And it looks like Looking at the Supreme Court calendar, tomorrow is the last day of decisions, so the Dobbs case will come out tomorrow. And in that situation, unfortunately, when the left goes nuts, the Democrats aren't going to do much to them. Joe Biden today, after the Bruin case came up, told people to get in the streets and march and let their voices be clear. We've been seeing progressive activists show up at Supreme Court justices' homes. One attempted to assassinate a Supreme Court justice. He's pled not guilty to that. He will go on trial, but he's being charged with the attempted assassination of a Supreme Court justice. Progressives are losing their mind. And the real reason they're losing their mind is because while conservatives have for 40 years built a project up to reverse Roe v. Wade, Democrats kind of got their eye off the prize. For the longest time, Democrats were very focused on taking over politics at the state level, at the federal level, and the judiciary. Well, conservatives have beat them at that game. They've gotten distracted, now the left has, by taking over ac academia and the private sector. They've been embedding themselves within corporations and in the academy, and, and they kind of left government. And now the Republicans have taken that over. They've taken over the Supreme Court. For the longest time, the left, even if they lost in politics, they could go to courts and have the courts give them their way. Constitutionally or not, the courts would say, oh, yes, progressives, we agree with you and your worldview here. They can't do that anymore. As a result, all of the avenues of major power in this country have turned against the left. And the Electoral College for years had a left-wing bias, now has a right-wing bias. And so they've got to delegitimize the court. They've got to delegitimize the Senate. They've got to delegitimize the Electoral College. And they've got to use the private sector to now badger and bully conservatives in ways they used to use the courts and government. Well, guess what? At the end of the day, the courts and the government actually do have more power than the private sector. And you're about to see a right-wing embrace of using that power to shut down the left even there in ways the left never did against the right. And the right's not going to be successful because there's no such thing as permanence in politics, but they're going to make things difficult for the left for a while. And to begin with, what they're going to do is tell the left, if you want power and you want abortion, learn how to win elections, learn how to relate to the American people. 
Those are skill sets the left has lost while they've relied on courts for so long to do their bidding for them. And now they got to relearn how to talk to the American people. But in the process, they're going to riot and burn things down. And that's going to set them back even further with the public. And it's going to show the polls shift further to the Republicans, just like happened after the George Floyd riots in 2020. And the Democrats won't accept blame and won't realize it until it's too late. They also, of course, have to deal with the economy and the economic wreckage that they've made with their policies. And if you're dealing with the economic wreckage the Democrats have made, you may want to consider gold and silver to help you, particularly if you've got $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k, or other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. If you call my friends at GoldCo at 855-904-5933, they will send you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver in your retirement portfolio to protect it and grow it. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at GoldCo. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've been helping thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation, stock market crashes. They want to help you. Instead of me giving you the toll-free number again, let me just text it to you. If you will text the word ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I will send you Gold Co.'s toll-free number. Call them. Tell them I sent you. Uh, At least get the free wealth protection kit from them. Text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, I want to play you some audio. And and Charlie, if you're listening, you will note I have played all but this of the 13 clips of audio I asked you to get me today. Sometimes, folks, I get Charlie to get me all these clips of audio that, that I want to play. And then I forget to play every single one of them today. Every single one is getting played. And this is the last one. I want you to listen to Connecticut Senator Murphy about the gun bill. Again, for 30 years in Washington, the NRA got everything they wanted. And if the NRA opposed a bill, it was essentially dead letter. Um, That's not the case any longer. And that is because over time, citizens have organized. And especially in the wake of Uvalde, when senators went home, they heard loud and clear from their constituents that this time doing nothing could not be an option. The, the, the fear and the anxiety was just palpable in this country. So, yes, the NRA is opposed to this bill, and there are going to be somewhere between 15 and 20 Republican senators that are going to vote for it, which I think um, sort of paves the way for even more progress in the future now that we have broken this logjam. Um, that's, that's maybe the, the legacy of the, of the bill in the long run. And that is exactly why you should never compromise your gun rights. Because the Democrats are going to demand more in the future. You just heard Chris Murphy say that. This has broken the logjam. Perhaps we can get more in the future. The National Rifle Association has failed you as a gun owner. Uh, Eleven of the NRA's top supported candidates in Washington have signed on to this compromise legislation. Eleven of them, and the NRA has gotten too sclerotic to do anything. Uh, Gun Owners of America has become a far better group than the NRA. Um, The NRA has built up this huge machine and squandered it, I guess, on Wayne Lapierre suits or something. 
Um, but by doing this, engaging in this compromise in this way, what Republicans are doing is paving the ground for future secession of your rights, ceding of your rights to the Democrats. They should have never started. At least they should have waited until they were in charge of the Senate. And now all they're doing is kind of uh, suppressing their vote. I mean, you've already got Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania is probably going to cost the Republicans that seat, uh, which which hurts the Republicans' ability to pick up the Senate unless you sweep Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. They could have a bigger momentum than that, but Oz is a terrible candidate. Thanks, Donald Trump. Um, and now we got this. If the Republicans sit home in November, it won't be because of me saying there's a wave coming. It'll be because the Republicans suppressed their own vote. They should have never, ever compromised at this time on this issue with those people.